This week's uh, Torah portion, Kitavo, begins with the mitzvah of Bikurim. That is why you saw in the uh, Facebook invite that the title for tonight is Faith of the First Fruit. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's one thing to give. We'll soon talk about that. It's another thing, the first fruit. On the other hand, Bikurim actually, if you learn the inner dimension of what Bikurim is here to teach us, the first fruit, and giving the first fruit to uh, Hashem, to God, what it really means, you'll realize not only isn't that a challenge to our faith, it actually becomes the empowerment of our faith. So let's talk about Bikurim. Bikurim is a very interesting type of gift. You see, when the Torah tells us to give tithing, ma'aser, you don't have to give the first 10% of your crop. You have to give a 10% of your crop. You don't have to go out and make sure it's the first fruits. The same thing with the truma. The same thing with tzedakah. Even by pe'ah. And pe'ah means that you have to, at the edge of your field, you have to leave. The reason why you leave it at the edge of your field is very simple. That the poor people can get to it quickly. But it's no, there's nowhere that we find that you have to give the first group, the first, there's something special about Bikurim. It's not just about the giving, it's actually giving the first fruit. And how does it work? The way it works is that around Passover time, when it starts spring, things start beginning to bud, you have to go out into your field. You have to look then at which is your first fruit, but you can't take it yet, right? You can't do anything with uh, the beginning budding process. So you take a red, ribbon you tie it around the fruit around that place so that later when you come back after the whole field gives its uh, entire produce you're not going to know then which was the first fruit you'll see the red the ribbon you'll know this is the first fruit and you bring that to the temple so we're careful that not only it should be a giving of what you have but we're very specific by saying no we want you to give the first fruit go out into the field Make sure you mark it so that later you don't exchange it. Interesting, even though you're about to hear me say that the first fruit, metaphorically, it means in everything of our life, we should give the first and the best. But nevertheless, interesting enough, let's say you find that the later fruits are choicier than the first fruits. No, you give the first fruits. Bikurim is the first fruits doesn't make a difference if the fruit right next to it that happened to come third, fourth, fifth is so much bigger and nicer and juicier. No, Bikurim, first fruits. Reshit, the first fruits. We're taught, the Rebbe, blessed memory, explains to us that it doesn't just mean the first fruit, but also why the first words out of your mouth in the morning has to be moda'ani. That is also why in Chabad schools, they asked the Rebbe once that it's cheaper on the payroll if half the school learns Judaica first and secular second, and half learns secular first and Judaica second. The outcome of that would be that you now have a full day teacher who can do both. Teach the morning, teach the afternoon. So they were thinking of ways of doing it. Maybe teach the boys in the morning Judaica, the girls in the morning secular, and then switch. It's just, it's very, you know, in today's budgeting uh, 
It's, that helps a lot. And the Rebbe's response was, how can you not learn Judaica in the morning when your mind is fresh? That is the mitzvah of Bikurim. Don't save studying Torah for when you already used your brain up for business or everything else, and then, you know, a half a shlufin, you're going to grab a chumish and, like, you know, falling asleep on the page. No. Bikurim means give your best to Hashem. So it's not just concerning the fruits. It's also concerning your focus, your powers. Do everything on the best. Give the best that you have to Hashem. Don't give Hashem grade B. So Bikurim, in metaphorically speaking, isn't, is, is broader than just the fruits, the first fruits of the seven specific kinds that Israel is praised for. It's in every area of our life. Where, my friends, in the Torah is the first time you have a story with the message of Bikurim, which unfortunately didn't have such a pleasant ending? Ding, dun, ding, dun, ding, dun, dun. The answer is Cain and Abel. What happened with Cain and Abel? Cain was the one who came up with the idea to give God a present. There was no obligation. We aren't told that God told Adam and Cain and Abel that you shall... No. It was Cain's own thought. A beautiful thought. You know something? If Hashem is blessing us with all this, we should give something to Hashem. Let us give a sacrifice to Hashem. So it was Cain's thought. Abel didn't think of this. That's huge. Nevertheless, what happens is Cain doesn't give of his best. He didn't give Bikurim fashion. So what happens now? Abel, who didn't think of it, who was the copycat, oh, he's doing that, that's a nice idea, I'll do it too. But Abel gave from his best. Now what does the verse say? God turned to whose sacrifice? He turns to the sacrifice of Abel and doesn't turn to the sacrifice of Cain. And Cain, instead of being a man and realizing that, hey, in Hebrew they have a beautiful saying, be a man and lower yourself. Be humble. Instead of being humble and realizing, you know, my brother wasn't embarrassed. He saw me do something right. He learned from me. Well, now it's my turn to see that he did something right and I should learn from him. No. Cain gets all bent out of shape and then we know the rest of the story. So, the story of Bikurim is a very powerful story. Always give Hashem the best and the first. Now let's talk about this. Very interesting, very interesting that the mitzvah Bikurim is not about giving, it's about giving the first. What's the message here? What's the challenge here? What are we learning out of this? From the perspective of faith, there is a huge difference between tithing, terumah, tzedakah, and bikurim. Not only it is, is it a huge difference, it's a very fundamental difference in your approach of your partnership with God, and therefore its reflection on what you feel about in your depth of gratitude to God. There's an interesting Mishnah that says 
give God what he's asking of you because you and everything you have belongs to him. So if he's asking you for 10%, don't krechs because the 100% belongs to him. So it's not shot that you're giving him 10%. He, capital H, is actually giving you 90%. A different way of looking at it. So that's a very powerful message. But Bikurim is telling me to get more intricate into that message to really understand what the message of faith that Hashem is demanding of us over here. Let's talk about what does it mean that I should give God the first and the best. What it means is as follows. My partnership with God, how does it work? My hishtadlut. Now this is a word, if you remember, it has come up in this class. In this form itself, it came up a bunch of times. Because there is a huge challenge for the human mind to somehow balance beautifully hishtadlut and emunah. It came up more than once in the Q&A that we have after the class that questioned that. Faith on one hand means that it's God. Whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. Hishtadlut means that I have to try. I can't just lay in bed and tell God, this is my bank account number, these are my bills, you're going to make it happen. Mind you, there was a great king that did that. A very powerful king, a king full of faith. He lay down in bed and told God, the war is yours. I'm totally assured it's going to be good. You'll handle the war for me. But that's not simple. You know, there's a famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov once walked over to uh, Trisim. Um, Trisim is like a, is in Israel. You have that by the windows. Unfortunately, because of the war, you have to immediately put out all the light. So they have these, these things that we use shutters. I'm sorry, I couldn't remember the words. So the shutters over there, he knocked on the shutter and he walked away. His students asked the Baal Shem Tov, what was that all about? The Baal Shem Tov said, I'm in need of sustenance. So I knocked on his, uh, on his on the window shutters. So they asked the Baal Shem Tov, if you knock, wait till he comes. Tell him what you need. Ask. Get. And if you're not going to do that because everything's in the hands of Hashem, then why'd you even go knock on the shutters? And the Baal Shem Tov said that every person on, dependent upon his level of faith on his status of spirituality, that's how much hishtadlut he or she has to do. And the Vashantov said, for a man of my stature, I had to do something. I did it. I walked away. The rest is Hashem. Where do we have in the Torah such a story? Joseph. We're taught that because Joseph asked the wine merchant, the one that was in charge of filling the cup for Pharaoh, who met him in prison, because he asked him, and when you will be returned to your post, remember me and tell Pharaoh that I'm innocent. I'm here in prison for no good reason. And what does it say? The next verse says, It was after two years. And our sages tell us Joseph was punished for asking the wine merchant to go ahead and tell Pharaoh about him. Why? You and I would have been punished. Remember the famous story 
that you probably always heard, and we mentioned it here before, about the guy, he was uh, drowning, and it was getting lower, the water was coming up higher and higher, and then what happens? The, the boat comes to save him, and he tells him, no, 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 I believe in God, not coming. And then they send the U-boat, then they send this, and then they send the helicopter, and he died. And he came to heaven, and he said, God, how can you do this to me? I publicly put my faith in you, and you let me die. And he hears the heavenly voice answer him, who do you think sent you the boat and the helicopter? So for, for us not to have used that connection would have been equivalent to committing suicide. Suicide is punishable by death. <laughs> but that's the way it works. Suicide is, is murder. So for us not to have done the full-blown hishtadlut, involvement, my working would have been very bad in the eyes of God. I would have been punished for that. For Joseph to have done it, it was an infringement upon his pure level of faith. On the level of consciousness that he lived with God, that shouldn't have happened. The Baal Shemta was careful to do how much hishtadlut, a person of his stature, needed to do. Anything more than that would have been already an infringement upon his relationship with God, his faith in God. And we have the same teaching in a Yom Yom, a calendar that the Rebbe wrote when his father-in-law in 1943 said he wanted such a calendar, every day a message. He writes over there also that it's already decided exactly how much every single person is going to earn. Nothing you do will make any more money than that. So do what you have to do in the rest of your time. Put into your priorities. Study Torah. Maintaining your family, making sure that everything is good. Someone who's uh, going to overdo his shadlut, that's already an infringement upon his faith in God. You're going to get what you're going to get. You have to do what you have to do. But, and this is where Truma steps in. Birchat Hashem, he te'asher. What makes a person rich is the blessing of God. How do you get the blessing of God? The blessing of God is within your study of Torah, your prayers, your fulfillment of mitzvot, your honesty. That's where the blessing of God rests. Now, because Hashem created nature, so therefore the laws of nature is the will of God, therefore you must go out and work and earn your living. So let's talk about this paradigm. This paradigm is very different than what most of us think. Most of us think that we have to work 23 and a half hours. And then we want God to add His touch. So for the half an hour, I'm going to give God what He wants so that He should add His touch to the issue so it will be blessed. One paradigm. The other paradigm is, it's all about Hashem's blessings. But because Hashem doesn't want us to feel lack of self-respect, that, look, we're living off society, we're not doing anything. In Zohar, it's called Nama Dechsufa, food of shame, bread of shame. A bread that isn't earned is a bread of shame. The Talmud tells us a person would rather have one measurement of his own earned sustenance than nine measurements of unearned sustenance. 
So because Hashem knows that the human nature which He created is that we want to have Ishtadlut so that when we sit by the table and we eat, we feel self-respect. So Hashem tells us, you'll also do your Ishtadlut. But remember, your Ishtadlut is only the vessel for my blessing. The faith of Terumah, uh, I'm sorry, the faith of Bikurim, of the first fruit, is a total different paradigm of your partnership with God. It's a total different paradigm of what is the main issue and what is the secondary issue. Is the main issue that I need to use my brains and outthink my competition and sometimes not be straightforward, always, you know, trying to get the extra dollar, pushing the sale, a little shtick here, a white lie, a purple lie, you know, borderline lie. I didn't mamish say it, I insinuated it. That's one way of thinking. I got to do whatever I got to do. It's a jungle out there. But I am a believing Jew. And I know at the end of the day that with all my shtick, I do need Hashem to give his kiss of approval. Okay, so I'll make it to minion. I'll daven. I'll give a little bit of charity. I'll cover my bases. Just like I cover my office bases, I'll cover my spiritual bases. That paradigm leaves me in a huge gap in my amuna. We're soon going to talk about that. While on the other hand, if my approach is that everything comes from the blessing of Hashem. So if I want to make sure, you guys ever took the uh, seven habits of uh, highly effective people? You did, you didn't? Okay, let me share with you one of them. First things first. And the way they do it in their workshops is they call up someone from the audience and they take a whole pail full of pebbles and then they have another pail full of rocks and then they have an empty pail and they tell them to fit everything into this one pail. And then on the big rocks, they put their important things. One says family values, another one says exercise, another one says vacation, another says time with your kids. So the reason they do that is because as you're struggling to fit in, push in that last rock, so what they're doing is they look, oh, this is the one you don't want? Okay, so health is not important to you. No, no, health is important. So you squeeze that in, you take out another rock. Oh, your family's not important to you. And they show you little by little that there's none of these big rocks that you can do without. But the problem is that when you have all the big rocks, you have no time left for everything else. And then the point of the whole exhibit is that first you put in the big rocks. Then you pour the sand and you keep on shaking the big rocks that the sand can fill in and you realize everything fits. They put exactly on what you can handle. Now let's take it to what we're doing here. What are the big rocks? Are the big rocks of my parnasah, my sustenance? Are the big rocks, me waking up even earlier than earlier to get to the office so much earlier? Is the big rocks that I have to always make sure that people don't know what I have up my sleeve? 
Is the big rocks for me somehow to get into my competitions, QuickBooks, list of vendors and clients? Whatever it's going to be, are those the big rocks? And then the issue that, listen, I'd like to fit it in, but if I can't fit it in, I can't. And what is that? A weekly shiur Torah. I'd love to do it. I mean, which one of us doesn't like to learn Torah? And Rabbi, I, I really, if I can just fit it into my schedule. And not only that, but we're right. Because who is he with a capital H who gave me my bills, who gave me the needs to eat every single day. For some reason, I can't survive on food once a week. Who gave me the need to sleep. Who gave me the need to have to work. And so forth and so on. Who gave me the need to have to take uh, family time. All this stuff. It's all God. And then God tells me to learn. Who's the one who only created a seven-day week? Who's the one who only gave me 24 hours in a day? So what does God want from me? But what I definitely do need to know is I better take care of the big rocks first. And the big rock is work hard. The big rock is get to the office. The big rock is stay late. The big rock is that use your brains until it's totally plotting from all sides. How am I going to make that extra dollar to be able to pay tuition? How am I going to be able to do all these things? And then Shabbos. Of course I come to shul falling asleep on my prayer book. But what can I do? And then, of course, is the biblical commandment of thou shalt take a siesta every Shabbos. So we got an issue here. But that approach begins from a paradigm which is the opposite of Bikurim. It's telling me that the first fruit is my work of my hand. Then, just like the field needs rain, okay, so I need Hashem to give his magic touch. The other paradigm, which is the paradigm of Emunah, which is the paradigm that we're struggling with, that's not easy, is that tells me like this. The big rocks are study Torah, pray, do what you have to do in your spiritual levels, make sure that you're worthy of God's blessing, make sure that you're walking in His statutes, in His commandments, make sure that you study Torah every day, make sure that you do get home on time to do homework with your kids, Make sure that these things do happen. Those are the big rocks. That's a definite. And then, somehow, somewhere, we'll manage to put in 40 hours. Today, no one survives in 40 hours. 55 hours. So, Bikurim tells me, the first fruit I give to God isn't because He needs my first fruit. What is God going to do with my first fruit? What's He exactly going to do with my pomegranate? But the message here is, do I realize Birchat Hashem Hita Asher is the blessing of God that makes us rich. So first and foremost, let me make sure that I am eliciting from God this Birchat Hashem. And then because God chose to give us that royal feeling of I worked for this. So Hashem says, no, 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 I won't deliver this into your bank account. I want you to go out and make a vessel and make it a kosher vessel. Make it an honest living. The message here, Birkat Hashem Asher, is an amazing message. The first fruits tells me 
what the big rocks are, and then what the secondary rocks are. So were I to give 10% to God of what I do, what I earn, that isn't yet the ultimate message of faith. It's the message of, of course I couldn't do it without Hashem, so I'll give Hashem his portion. But it isn't the ultimate message of faith that everything that we see, everything that we do in our office is all dealing with the glove. But what we need is the hand of God. So of course, we need to also make the vessel secondary to what the most important process is, I need Hashem's blessing. Not that's the cream on the cake. I'll put together the cake. I just need Hashem to put his, uh, you know, his signature on the creaming of the cake. No. It's the opposite way around. The cake is the blessing of God. That I take care with my spiritual commitments. The cream on the cake is the work, the labor of my hands. Where do we find the story in our history? Very clearly. Very clearly we find the story is in the story of Purim. If we look at the scenario of what happened Purim, yeah, we got a big uh, problem on our hands called Mr. Haman. And yeah, he was raised up to be the highest advisor. <laughs> but one second, who's the queen? You know that story? The king asks his three advisors, tell me what is the most powerful, the most strongest in the whole world? And one said a diamond. You can only cut a diamond with another diamond. The second one was a chacham. And he said the king. Now the big problem with the second guy was that he left the third guy with pretty much having to face uh, being beheaded. Because anything he's going to say that disagrees with number two is now not going to be too sweet. He said the king is the strongest. And what are you saying? And he was a smart guy and he said the queen. The king looked at him and he told the king, it is an historical fact that most wars were actually over the queen, not over the king. So, as great as this advisor was, Mordechai knew that the queen is A, Jewish, B, his niece. Yet what does he do? He doesn't head to the palace. He gathers together thousands upon thousands of children and sits down with them with a sack and ashes and studies Torah. On top of that, with sack and ashes, he cut off his relationship, his communication with his niece. Believe it or not, in the times of Purim, they did not have texting. And he had to get into the palace courtyard. And he couldn't get into the palace courtyard because the rule is you cannot come into the royal courtyard dressed up in a sack and ashes. What was he doing? Our sages, our righteous leaders did not play righteous and holy when it came to issues that were life or death for their people. He wasn't playing games. But the answer is that Mordechai knew Haman down here is the second problem. The decree up there is the serious problem. If we take here the decree up there, then we can deal with the small rocks. Haman, 
a decree of annihilation. Those are the small rocks. The big rock is that if it happened down here, it's because it was decreed up there. Why was it decreed up there? Let's take care of that problem first. Let's first do Teshuvah. Once we have the decree up there ripped, then over here we'll already take care. We'll speak to Queen Esther. Queen Esther will do what she has to do. And then we'll have, you know, Haman and his ten sons hanging. But that was secondary. That action, that paradigm, that ultimate faith of Mordechai was the embodiment of the mitzvah of Bikurim. It was a station identification of what are the big rocks and what are the small rocks. What is the cause and what is the effect? What is the ikar, the main issue, and what is the tafel, the secondary trimmings? And that is the ultimate demand of Bikurim. No, I'm not asking you to give me a piece. I'm asking you to give me the piece. I'm asking you to identify clearly after all the sweat and worried and sleepless nights and thinking and hard work and communications and asking and whatever you did. I'm asking you to recognize that that is secondary to what really brings you your sustenance. I'm asking you to identify that the main issue here is Birkat Hashem, Hitit Hashem. The blessing of God, that is what makes you rich. And that is the primary focus, and that's the big rocks. You know, it's interesting. I had someone ask me, he asked me as follows, Rabbi, you walk the synagogue, of course, Shomer Shabbat. But tell me, Rabbi, and what if you didn't live in walking distance of a synagogue? So I went and I asked him, tell me something. Before you moved into town, did you first check out the public schools and see which area you're going to belong to because you want to make sure you're in this area because you want to make sure your kids goes into that public school, not the other public school, because this is a grade A public school, this is a grade B public school? Did you make sure that you're within traveling distance to your office? You would never end up living somewhere where you can't get to your office, right? Well, let me break you the news. Before I buy a house, I first make sure that I'm within walking distance to a shul. We all make choices. We all make choices. We all clearly choose where we're going to live. In what proximity to what? But if you know what your big rocks are, then you know what choices you're making. Today I spoke to a very special Jew. And he just, he, he told me that he just, um, you see, uh, he's having a, uh, a job change. He ended one job, he retired, and now he's going to another job. So he tells me, I upfront told them, I'm Shomer Shabbat, do not, do not expect in emergency. The office is burning down. Do not expect my participation from Friday sunset until Saturday night. It, it's just not happening. It doesn't make a difference what the emergency is. It's just not happening. I'm non-existing to my job then. That was a huge moment of Bikurim. That was a huge moment of station identification. 
And in the field that that individual happens to be in, it's very cutthroat. And uh, we're talking about 80-hour weeks. We're not talking about 40-hour weeks. And that uh, was a very big challenge that he did. That could have very simply told him, that's very nice. Very happy that you're honest with me. And I wish you good luck in whatever job you're going to find. That, that could have, that right then and there, could have happened. But Bikurim, Bikurim asks of you, take a stand, identify yourself. Don't just be the tail on the hind of an animal swinging to wherever the rear end of society is shifting. Who are you? What do you believe in? Do you really believe that your sustenance depends upon God's blessing? Or don't you? And if you do believe in it, then make sure long before you look into, am I living close enough to ABC? Let me find out if I'm living close enough to a shul. I want to walk to shul on Shabbos. Let me make sure when I move into town, I call up the local Chabad house and get a listing of classes. I don't know which classes I'm going to be able to go to. Lunch and learn may not fit into my schedule, but I'll tell you what I do know. That I'm going to belong to a Torah class. Because that's a big rock. That's a big rock for me to earn a living. So Bikurim is telling you, don't give God a piece. Don't give him a portion of credit for your blessings. Give him the piece. Give him the blessing. Give him the gratitude. First fruits. Because Hashem, you are the source of my sustenance. But because you wished and willed for me to feel like a man, so you allowed me to with the hands, the work of my hands, to be able to earn the living, make the vessel. I can come home and sit by the table feeling, ah, Baruch Hashem, I have one measurement of my own. The challenge here is great. We're all willing to give God credit. But to declare that everything is His and I'm just the trimmings <laughs> doesn't feel fair. That is a challenge of faith. Bikurim is a challenge. It's a challenge for me to accept that everything happens in my prayer, in my study, in my mitzvahs, in my honesty. And the rest, the rest is, it's all Hashem. It's all Hashem's doing. The rest, the little details of, yeah. So I'm earning a living as a rabbi. You're earning a living as a lawyer. You're earning a living as a whatever, a salesperson, whatever it is. But to make that so naught, <laughs> we spend all our time worrying, thinking, afraid. What happens now? To make out of that all naught. We don't worry whether we're going to get to the minion. We worry whether we're going to get to the office. And now you're telling me that what? I'm worrying about the little stuff, right? Don't sweat the little stuff. I'm sweating the little stuff. And if I end up going through a week, two, three, four, without being able to make it to a shiur Torah, God will understand. God knows I'm just trying to earn an honest living. We never tell that to our boss. I'm so sorry I came late today, but it was a real great shiur. I got so caught up. <laughs> we don't expect him to understand that. It's a challenge. The faith of Teruma is a challenge. 
because it's not acknowledging a partnership, it's rather putting a price tag on how much is the Birkat Hashem and how much is my Hishtadlut. Yet, on the other hand, let's talk about the blessing of this paradigm. You see, because if I give 98% of credence to the work of my hands, in today's economy, we're left with heartburn, heart palpitation, sleepless nights, because we don't really see how 98% of what my income depends on, I don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Unemployment rate is heading north, not south and prices are heading north, incomes are heading south, we've got a problem on our hands. So if I'm going to say that 98% of what I depend upon is my hishtadlut, we got problems. Anytime we're in a situation where we don't see with our conniving minds the light at the end of the tunnel, we're running into problems. What happens if I'm a Bikurim Jew? What happens if I realize that 98% of my survival, my growth, my sustenance, my health, my marriage, my children, all depends upon Birkat Hashem. It all depends upon the blessings of Hashem. But now, the 2% is my Hishtadlut. And now we got a major problem on our hands. 2% of what I depend upon, I don't see where it's coming from. Now introduce to this equation another statement of faith. God has many emissaries. And if you're not going to employ me, someone else will employ me. And if you're not going to sign my paycheck, someone else will sign my paycheck. How are you so sure, young man? I'll tell you why. Because 98% of what I depend upon, I got covered. I pray, I do my mitzvahs, I study Torah, I'm trying to be honest. 98% of what I depend upon is already stabilized. It's secured. 2% is not so secured. If only every financial risk we had to take in our life was 98% secured and 2% not secured, we'd be sleeping like babies at night. So while I tell you that it's a huge challenge of faith to give the best part of you to God and not to your business, the morning hours go to God. I wake up early not to read the paper and find out and read my emails. I wake up early to thank Hashem, to pray to Hashem, to commit to Hashem. That's scary. Because while I'm praying to God, my competition already went through all his emails, looked up the latest thing, went onto eBay, checked out the market, everything's secured. He's sitting down to a cup of coffee, and I'm waiting for the 10th guy to finally show up who's running late so we can do Baruch I'm worried about that. That's challenging. That's a challenge of faith. It's a very big challenge. The men, by the time we do the last Kaddish, the men in the morning are already halfway out the door. And, and I don't blame them. Besides the fact <laughs> that the minion needs to start on time and finish on time. That's what I was saying. But their edginess, 
I don't blame them. It's very challenging. But the person who knows that his day's earning depends upon that minion, 98% of that day's earnings he already secured by showing up 7-10, which is when we start minion men. 7-10 <clears throat> you show up, you do your prayers. Afterwards we do a three or five minute study. If you were to really acknowledge that 98% of your sustenance you just secured. Now get to downtown so you can take care of the other 2%. What a different outlook. What a different inner peace. What a different perspective. I can sleep at night. I, it looks like everything I've worked on is caving in on me. I don't know where I'm generating the next client. That's 2%. And don't get me wrong. Do not leave the shul and go to the beach. Go to your office and work hard and get to be the best at what you do. Because the 2% is important. It's where God lets us create our self-identity, our self-respect. But the first fruits, the first beautiful fruits, the big rocks, what I really depend upon, 98% of my survival, that happens in shul, happens in a study group of Torah, happens in a mitzvah, happens in making sure that the poor man has breakfast. That's where it happens. That's the faith of the first fruit. Of course it's hard. But on the other hand, it, the challenge turns into the source of strength. What a different breathing and sleeping you have when you know that 98% doesn't depend on all the other yo-yos buying or selling. They like me, they don't like me. What now? What next? It depends on my simple relationship with Hashem and goodness and justice and Torah and mitzvahs. In closing. The closing part is where we need to get practical. You see, the class until now was... Uh, Wonderful, <laughs> idealistic. We can all stand up and say, okay, Rabbi, I hereby proclaim I have a new paradigm. 98% <laughs> is Torah and mitzvahs, and, but let's get practical. There is a teaching of the great Chinuch, Sefer Chinuch, and he says as follows. It's on the mitzvah of the Passover sacrifice, and over there he mentions as follows. There is no playing games in Judaism. You don't play something. You either are or you're not. And that's why he questions specifically a certain mitzvah about not breaking the bone of the Passover lamb because we're rich. Rich people don't chew on bones. We're kings, we're royalty. And he questions, what is that supposed to mean? You either are or you're not. Not breaking the bone? I mean, picture this. Here's a Jew who... who doesn't have nothing on his table, put away his kupkis every single week so he can build up for the Pesach lamb, and now he's looking just to take an extra bite just to get out the marrow of the bone. He's so starving. No, why not? Because you're rich. <laughs> you're rich. Rich people don't do that. He lays down an amazing rule. Kilev adam nimshach achar pu'ulatav. The heart of man follows his action and not Vice versa. Once gave a whole lecture on this topic. 
Judaism is not a reactive religion, it's a proactive religion. We don't react to emotions, we create emotions. There is no, Rabbi, you want me to put on tefillin if I don't feel it? Yes, but why, Rabbi? I don't feel it. Put it on and you'll feel it. Come to shul and you'll feel it. Don't wait till you feel it to come to shul. Don't react to emotions, create emotions. How do we obtain this, I'm going to call faith an emotion now for a lack of uh, other identity or identification right now. But how do we create this feeling of faith? It's not shot first, let me swallow the faith pill. And then I'll feel the faith. And then I'll give Bikurim. Then I'll give the first fruits. Right now I'm not a Bikurim Jew. I'm barely a tithing Jew. I, I, I'm barely accepting that God is a real partner in what I do. You want me to accept that God is the 98%? Of course I always say that, but do I really feel it? And how do you know if someone really feels it or not? Do you know how, Jason? Very simple. Sneak into his bedroom and see if he's sleeping like a baby. A person who has faith is sleeping like a baby. If he's tossing and turning, or in the morning you see that his sheets are all crinkled because he didn't, you know that this person is just lip servicing his faith. And what you can't do is fake sleeping like a baby. <laughs> so how do you really get this faith? How you really get this faith is by acting it. How you really get this faith is by doing the actions of faith. So if you tomorrow morning dedicate the best part of your brain you dedicate the best part of your day to say thank you to Hashem, to pray, to do a mitzvah, to study Torah, then that's going to create the Bikurim faith. So we're not saying thou shall believe and then thou shall do. What we're saying is thou shall do and eventually thou shall believe. Give the first fruit. God didn't say in the verse, and if you really feel, and you acknowledge, and you know, then give. No. He said, you shall give. The gift for giving is the gift of feeling. When you behave like a Bikurim Jew, the gift Hashem gives you is that you get to feel like a Bikurim Jew. When you behave like you really acknowledge that God is 98% partner of your sustenance, then you'll get to feel that God is 98% of your sustenance. Then you're not so worried about, oh my God, the sky is falling. Unemployment, I can't get a job, I can't earn a living. Look at me at this stage of life, where am I gonna get a job? My whole profession is going out, of the, out the window with technology. It goes on and on and on. Where do I move to? You're worried about this. But I'm not asking you to change your feelings. I'm asking you to change your behavioral patterns. And then the gift Hashem will give you for doing that is the gift that you'll be able to feel. You will yet be able to sleep at night like a baby. How do I get there? Stop by the action. Behave like you understand that the big rocks is my spiritual relationship with God. It's my Torah and mitzvahs. It's my caring for a fellow Jew, a fellow human. When I take care of the big rocks, then I'll start feeling that these are the big rocks. And then I'll stop worrying 
and sweating over the little things. So while Bikurim seems to be the ultimate challenge of faith, it actually, if you get over the hump of it, and how do you get over the hump of it, is not by fighting your feelings, it's by just doing the actions. Then eventually you'll realize that the challenge of Bikurim, the challenge of giving away the first and the best, is actually the empowerment of being able to have inner peace to be able to know that it's going to be okay. 98% of what I need to do, I've already taken care of, it's secured. Now how can it be that I won't manage the 2%? Of course I'll manage. Guys, that's it.